right, if you'll remain standing, we're going to read some scripture. It's actually uh, one verse, and I'm going to ask you to uh, read this with me. And uh, so let's uh, read this in unison. This is Psalm 126, verse 3. Let's read it together. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Hey, let's read that one more time. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Let's pray together. Lord, um, you have done great things for us. Lord, if you've done nothing else than send your son Jesus into this world, uh, Lord, to take on human flesh, uh, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that is to pay our sin debt. And Lord, we are eternally grateful for all that you have done for us. So this morning we come to thank you, we come to praise you, uh, we come to proclaim good tidings of great joy. Uh, 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born in the town of Bethlehem, our Deliverer. Uh, he's the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Lord, he's the King of Kings, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we uh, bow our hearts before you today uh, to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have been looking at a Christmas series of messages, and so let me just kind of bring us out to speed where we've been, and then we'll jump into our uh, our passage this morning. So a couple Sundays ago, uh, we began our Christmas series by looking at the prophecies of Jesus' birth. There are many of them. We looked at four. Uh, the first one was the patriarchal promise or prophecy that God gave us some markers about the Messiah and how he would come. And so we go through scripture, we discover that he's going to come from the seed of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, through you, through your descendants, the entire world will be blessed. And that came to fruition because Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. And then the Lord gave us some more markers, and uh, we discovered that he also would be a descendant from the uh, lineage of Jesse, from the tribe of Judah, 12 tribes in Israel. He's going to come from Judah. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so he's going to be a descendant from the, the lineage of Judah, or Jesse rather, and then we know that Jesse had eight sons. His youngest was David. And uh, the Davidic covenant says that the Messiah is going to come what from the lineage of David. And so we looked at those patriarchal prophecies. And then second, we looked at the place of his birth. That God told us ahead of time, thousands or hundreds of years before Jesus was born, where the Messiah would be born. And we sing about it at Christmas time, the little town of Bethlehem. We said population in uh, Jesus' time, maybe 300 to 600 people. And out of that little town, uh, the Messiah came. We looked at the procreation principle. Isaiah 7:14, 7, 700 years before Jesus was born, that a virgin will conceive. That's an unusual way of having a, a child. But a virgin will conceive and have a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. And then we looked at the protection prophecy Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, the prophet Hosea writes, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And if you know the Christmas story, it's a part of the story that's not talked about much, but after Jesus was born 
And there was all this talk about the king of the Jews, King Herod, was intensely jealous. And he put out an edict, all young baby boys, two years and under, uh, in the Bethlehem and the vicinity will be killed. And so Mary and Joseph, warned by an angel, um, took off and spent the first uh, year, perhaps year and a half, down in Egypt. And they lived as refugees. Uh, they lived uh, there until it was safe to come back after King Herod died. Well, last week, we looked at the plan for his birth. And we discovered that Jesus' birth was planned a long time ago. Uh, we quoted a, a phrase from Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There was Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, that long before the world was created, the Godhead planned out what? The redemption story, Jesus' birth. We looked at it in Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, the birth of Christ was not a backup plan. The birth of Christ was not plan B, but it was planned out from before time began. God the Father chose us in him, in Christ, before the world began. The Apostle Peter writes, We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. So before the world was even created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit came up with this plan, the plan of redemption. And we learned that Jesus and God the Father was thinking about us and planning our redemption before we were even thought of, before the world even began. And then we looked at that great passage in Ephesians 1 where there are seven spiritual blessings. Paul uh, talks, starts out with praise. Uh, praise be to the God, the Father. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessings. And we looked at seven blessings that God has given us in Christ because of the incarnation that we've been chosen in him. We've been adopted as his sons. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We have the knowledge of the mystery of God's will. We have the promised Holy Spirit. And God has an inheritance waiting for us someday, all because Jesus came. Well, that's going to bring us up to this morning. And this morning, then, we're going to look at the participants in Jesus' birth. And we're just going to look at a few of them. These are all familiar names to us. Uh, we know their story. So uh, let's dive just maybe uh, a little deeper. And one of the dangers of coming to the Christmas story is that we become overly familiar with it. And so uh, we're going to look at four characters in the Christmas story and hopefully learn some lessons that uh, we can apply to our lives. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first character in the Christmas story. His name is Zechariah. Uh, he was the father of John the Baptist. And of course, John the Baptist became a key figure in the Christmas story. So let's discover who these characters are, and then we'll dive into their life a little bit and learn some lessons. But who was Zechariah? Well, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 tells us Zechariah was a priest. Let's uh, re read verses 5 and 6. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so we're introduced to a priest. His name is Zechariah. His wife is Elizabeth. They're good people. They're, they're righteous, righteous people. And we go on to discover that there's an issue in their life that probably brought them a great deal of sorrow. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So here they are uh, serving the Lord their whole lives, but they've longed for a child. In fact, Zechariah has been praying for a child. We learn that later on in the passage in verse 13, uh, when the angel appears to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. So they have been praying and praying for a child, but they're childless. Now, back in the first century, to be childless um, was really uh, a disgrace in that culture. Children were looked at as a blessing from God, and when you didn't have any children, it was looked at as a mark of divine displeasure. So to be childless as it is in our culture today for couples is very difficult. If you want to have a child and you can't, that's what Zachariah and Elizabeth were going through. One commentator says Zachariah would have no heir to carry on his priestly calling. He would have no namesake to add to the family line. He would have no inheritor to take his, uh, over his property and estate someday. And so here's this childless couple But then the scriptures give us another insight into Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says they were old. They were childless, not able to conceive, and they were both not just old, very old. So there's another factor in this story. That not only have they not been able to have children, but at this point in time, they are very, very old. Now let's read verses 8 through 10 and get a little more of the story. Uh, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so we need to understand this is a big moment for Zechariah. This is is one of the, the highlights of his career as a priest. There were 24 divisions in charge of managing the temple. They would divide up those responsibilities, and each division for a couple of weeks would have a responsibility in the temple worship. And in the division of priests, one person would be chosen by lot to go into the holy place and to then burn incense. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime probably experience for Zechariah. He has that privilege to go into the temple holy place and light that incense. And at that big moment in his life, something dramatic happens, and you know the story. Verse 10, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembly worshipers were praying outside, Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Whoa, what a moment for Zechariah when he's there in that holy place burning that incense, and all of a sudden the angel appears. He says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Even though you and Elizabeth are old, very old, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be called John. We don't have time to read the entire text, but we're going to discover that Zechariah doubted this message. Isn't it interesting that he'd been praying for a son, he'd been praying for a child, and now the angel says, your prayers have been answered, and what's Zechariah doing? He's questioning it. It reminds me of the New Testament when Peter was in prison. It says the early church was gathered together praying for Peter's release. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the outer gate. The servant maid, Rhoda, goes out, discovers it's Peter, comes back in, doesn't let Peter in, and tells the church that's praying there, Peter's at the gate. And what do the believers say? No, that can't be Peter. He's in prison. (laughs) They've been praying that he would be released. They didn't believe that he was released. And Zechariah doubted this message. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have sent, been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah questions Gabriel. He's really questioning God. He's not believing. And Zechariah faced some consequences. The consequence was, for nine months, Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak. You're not going to be able to talk. And I imagine those were nine long months in the Zechariah and Elizabeth household because Zechariah did not believe God. Now, the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And I can only imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth, who've been praying for a child for years and years and years, must have felt that God had forgotten them. And it's easy to believe in times of waiting, in times of difficulty, it's easy to believe that maybe God doesn't care then maybe God has forgotten. I've been reading a a book by Alyssa Morgan entitled Christmas Changes Everything. And um, when I've been reading this uh, book in the last couple weeks, and I've um, got the word believe written here on the whiteboard, but uh, she pointed out, and I just thought I'd illustrate it for you this morning, that in the word believe, right in the middle, is one uh, three-letter word called lie. And uh, one of the things that uh, the enemy uh, likes for us to do is to begin to doubt who God is and doubt God's goodness and rather believe the truth of God is very easy to believe the lie, especially in times of waiting on God and wondering, uh, questioning God. And so we sometimes believe the lie 
The lie that God has forgotten us, the lie that God doesn't care, the lie that uh, God maybe really doesn't love us. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb in his book, Shattered Dreams, God's Unexpected Pathway to Joy. Let me just share this quickly and we need to move on. Uh, here's, Here's what he writes. Confidence in God is not best described as a pleasant emotional experience. Confidence in a chair brings one's weight. Uh, Confidence in a chair to bear one's weight can easily be felt. Confidence in God is not quite the same. It involves an experience that takes us beyond the realm of our five senses. It calls on our capacity to experience spiritual, not physical reality. Spirit-created confidence is an awareness of God's presence that is not sensually felt, at least not primarily. When in the middle of pain, God rarely grants us an experience with our five senses, but we can recognize and will recognize God as, as, as showing up. As we abandon ourselves to him, a confidence emerges, a sense of his presence that only the awakened spiritual capacities of the soul can identify. So Zechariah believed the lie. And uh, God wanted him to believe his truth. And the good news is, as we think about the story of Zechariah, that after nine months of uh, being silent, he actually came around to belief in God. Remember when the baby was born and uh, they were going to name him and the name traditionally would be a family name in the family. And they're saying that's going to be his name. Maybe it's to be Zachariah. Zachariah saying, no, his name will be called John because he believed uh, the message of God. Well, that's the story of, uh, of Zachariah and uh, Zechariah believed that uh, perhaps God had not remembered him, and he had to exercise that faith in God. After that period of of doubt, Zechariah believed. Well, let's look at the story of Mary, Uh, certainly a key figure. Luke chapter 1, still uh, in verse 26, starts with the story of Mary. Let me read Luke 1, 26, a familiar passage here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... So now Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Mary were related, probably cousins. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. So here we're introduced to Mary. We're not told her name yet. She's first identified as a virgin. So who was Mary? Uh, Mary was a virgin. Mary was a young virgin. Young girls in first century time, Jesus' time period, became betrothed early in puberty, sometimes as young as 12 or 13 years old. Mary was a very, very young girl. And we know the story here that Mary, the text says, um, was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So first century marriages were oftentimes arranged by families. Joseph probably would have been a little bit older, according to their culture, probably 17, 18 years old, and they were betrothed. That's 
similar to our engagement time, uh, except betrothal in that time period was a legally binding arrangement. And to break a betrothal, you would have to actually go through a legal divorce. The betrothal period lasted about a year, and then they had the wedding celebration. And so here's this young, maybe teenage girl, 13 years old, and all of a sudden, the angel uh, Gabriel appears to her, and the text will tell us that Mary was greatly troubled. Let's look at it in verse 28. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So here's Gabriel again. And I believe in the Christmas story, there's like five angelic appearances. Here's Gabriel now appearing to a young 13-year-old girl who's engaged to Joseph. Her name is Mary and tells her she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And the text tells us she was greatly troubled. Alyssa Morgan, in her book that I mentioned, Christmas Changes Everything, writes these words, Mary had plenty to be distressed about and plenty to ponder. There were obvious concerns of the biological obstacle of her being a virgin and the scandal of being an unwed mother. But Mary also would have known that pregnancy itself was a risky state for women in her day. A large percent of newborns did not survive the first month, and 50% did not live beyond the age of five in that culture. This is a lot for a 13-year-old girl. Mary was troubled, but we know the rest of the story. The key part of the story is that ultimately, Mary submitted to God's plan for her life. And after the, uh, she asked some questions, and, and her question is a little different from Zechariah's question. Zechariah was doubting that what the angel said would happen. Mary was asking, how is this going to happen? And the angel describes that, uh, that it's going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And uh, the angel uh, tells Mary that message But notice Mary's response. Mary submitted to God's plan. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, literally means handmaid, female slave, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. How did Mary respond? Mary responded by saying, yes, not only to to Joseph, to be his wife, but Mary said yes to God's plan for her life. It wasn't going to be easy. Face the scandal of uh, people misunderstanding and thinking that she was uh, unfaithful to Joseph. A little later on, she's going to discover that uh, being the mother of Jesus is going to have some pain with it. And she's told that um, 
She's going to experience some agony in Luke chapter 2, the prophetic words of Simeon. A sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. This is not going to be easy. Imagine Mary. She was there at the foot of the cross observing what Jesus went through. But in spite of all that challenge and difficulty, Mary submitted to God's plan. Mary shows us how to respond when God invites you to join into his work. When we say yes to God's plan and call in our lives, we are changed and we become part of God's world-changing work. So just as Mary said, yes, I'm going to cooperate with God's plan for my life, we too have that opportunity, don't we? Not only to say yes to Jesus as our Savior, but to say yes to God's plan for our own individual lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, We are what? Co-laborers with God. And God has called us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we have the opportunity to partner with him to say yes to God's plan for our lives. I'm so thankful that in our own church family that people say yes to God's plan in serving. Every fall, we begin to think about the fall of the year um, and our Awana program, and as we begin to pray about that and think about that, um, we begin to think, is, is God going to supply us with people who will say yes to partner with us to reach out amongst our own boys, young boys and girls in our community and say yes to having a program to teach and tell other kids about Jesus and train them to serve him. And thankfully, every fall, every year, um, many of you say yes to helping us with that. I'm so thankful that in the fall of the year, we put our nominating committee together and begin to pray about um, filling about 16 or 17 church offices where we need people to, to serve, serve the Lord. And as we meet together and pray and ask people to serve, that this past year, 16 people said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll be part of that plan. I'll serve. I'm so thankful that many of you, and we've put a lot of these out on the table, uh, these change your world boxes and I've kind of restocked it as they've been taken, but when we've challenged you to, uh, um, hey, would you make a difference in our world by just taking a few coins each day out of your pocket and putting it in here so that World Mission can buy these radios so that people can learn about Jesus? And many of you said, yes, I'll, I'll be part of that, that plan. And when we asked our church family, um, hey, would you be willing to then out of our general fund, double the amount that comes in these boxes so more people can hear about Jesus through the treasure that all of you said yes. Well, Mary said yes to Jesus, uh, to being Jesus' mother, and uh, she submitted to God's plan for her life. Well, we have two more to run through very quickly here. Let's look at uh, the next uh, participant. And it's Joseph. Let's learn about Joseph. That's Matthew chapter 1, 
Um, who was Joseph? Matthew chapter 1, we read about uh, Joseph. We discover that uh, Joseph uh, was from the lineage of David. Joseph was from the line of David. Uh, let's look at it in Matthew chapter 1. It describes the lineage of Jesus and it traces it back to, to, to Joseph. And then we read, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now we need to not just run through the story, but put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Joseph was from the line of David. That was key to, to him being a part of the Christmas story. But we also discover, as we've, we've read these words and verses that we've read over and over again, we discover that Joseph was devastated by what? Shattered dreams. That, that this wasn't the way things were supposed to happen. And we know the rest of the story, but at this point in time, Joseph does not. And so what does Joseph think? Joseph thinks, and we would all logically think the same thing, that Mary, during this betrothal time period, has been unfaithful to him. Now she comes and tells Joseph that she's expecting a baby and that an angel appeared to her and that uh, uh, the baby is from uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph doesn't believe it. You and I wouldn't have believed that either. Joseph is going to do the graceful thing, the merciful thing, and to privately divorce her. The Old Testament law says you could be stoned for adultery. Uh, But think about Joseph. Joseph's dreams have been shattered. Joseph's dreams of a happy and hopeful marriage to marry are not are now shattered and broken until an angel makes another appearance and comes to Joseph and and gives him the uh, the news and tells him the story verse 19 uh, let's pick it up in verse 20 but after Joseph had considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph son of David Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. We discover that Joseph changed his mind. Changed his mind and his plans after an angelic appearance. And he trusted and obeyed God and God's message to him. Alyssa Morgan, again in her book, says Joseph's world was shattered by the news that his bride was with child. But Joseph yielded his dreams 
to the reality of God's plan and trusted him with an unknown future. Like Joseph, we can discover beauty on the other side of brokenness. Did you ever have some dreams shattered? Did you ever have some major disappointments in your life? Then you'll know what Joseph felt like. But I want you to know this morning that God specializes in taking broken dreams and shattered dreams and making something beautiful out of them as we trust God and his plan, even in the midst of disappointment. And I've learned over the years that our disappointments many times are his appointments, that God wants to do something in our life, and we need to trust him. So there's a song um, that writes about this. Here are the lyrics. It's entitled, Give Them All to Jesus. Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap all the shattered dreams of your life and at the feet of Jesus lay them down. Give them all, give them all, give them all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts. Give them all, give them all to Jesus and he will turn your sorrow into joy. That's what Joseph did. Those shattered dreams, the disappointment, the heartache, and God had a plan for him as Joseph yielded his shattered dreams and placed them in God's hands. Well, there's one more group of uh, individuals in the Christmas story that we want to look at very quickly, and then we'll be done. It's the shepherds. Uh, Back to Luke chapter 2, the shepherds. So who were the shepherds? We, we know this. The shepherds were uh, very low in the social economic caste system of the day. Uh, they were not looked up to. Uh, they were not thought of a, a lot in the social economic world. And we discover that they're out in their fields and they're raising sheep. Now what we discover, and we'll look at this uh, a little bit more in detail probably next Sunday, But here are the shepherds, and they're in Bethlehem, and they're watching the flocks, the sheep. And Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem. Guess where most of those sheep that they were watching probably ended up? They ended up going to the temple to be sacrificed as sacrifices. Uh, the daily sacrificing of lambs was part of the, the Jewish worship system. These shepherds were shepherding sheep that were destined, many of them, to be sacrificed in the temple. And while they're watching over those sheep, an announcement comes from an angel. And the scripture says that they were terrified. Let's look at it, verse um, 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. We would have been too. Out of the pitch darkness of the night, all of a sudden the sky illuminates And it's the glory of God. It's the Shekinah glory. It hasn't appeared in Scripture for centuries. And the shepherds are terrified. And here the angel then brings them this good news. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Here's the message. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The long-awaited Messiah has come. And we know the story that a whole host of angels appeared, and they're singing glory to God in the highest on an earth, peace, goodwill to men. And uh, after the angels leave, the, the shepherds have a little meeting. And they say, hey, let's, let's, let's go to, to, uh, to Bethlehem and let's, let's see the baby Jesus. And they go and they discover Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus there in that uh, manger. And it says they hurried off, verse 16, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger and when they seen, had seen him, here's the, here's the key for us. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So here are the shepherds. They're the very first ones to hear about the birth of Jesus. The lowly caste system, the social economic scale on the bottom. But they were the ones that God chose to tell first about the Messiah. And it says they hurried off to worship him and to meet him. But then they didn't just keep that message for themselves, did they? The text tells us that they took that message and they found Jesus. And what did they do? They, they shared the good news. It says they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child and all who heard it. We're amazed. The shepherds were a key part in the, the Christmas story because they're the ones that got the word out. They're the ones that got the word out in Bethlehem in the vicinity that the Savior has been born. And we need to follow their example as well, don't we? The good news that's great joy for all people is a message that is designed to be what shared with everyone. Well, the participants in Jesus' birth, God uses willing people to accomplish his plan and his purposes. God uses an old couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah first doubted, but eventually he believed and became the father of John the Baptist, a key figure in, in the story of Jesus and in the message of the Messiah. God used a willing 13-year-old teenage young girl by the name of Mary who said, yes, I'll cooperate with God's plan. God used an older teenage boy by the name of Joseph who, even though he had shattered dreams, yielded his plans to God and God worked in his life in a great way. And God used the lowly shepherds who were out in the field watching those lambs destined for the sacrifice system in the temple. And they became the first ones to hear about Jesus. And they went, and they saw, and they worshiped, and they told others. I don't know which character you need to identify with today. Maybe somebody's here and they're feeling a little bit like Zechariah got some stuff going on in your life and you feel like God doesn't know or God's forgotten you or God's not aware. 
And don't believe, I don't want you to believe the lie of Satan who wants us to doubt God's truth. But we need to believe Scripture that God loves us. God has a plan for our life. Maybe we're like Mary. And maybe we need to say yes to Jesus. Yes to opportunities to be a part of his plan like Mary and Joseph did. Certainly all of us need to identify with the shepherds. We need to take the good news that the Messiah has come and we need to go tell it on the mountain and go tell others. The Messiah has been born and it will bring us great joy as we put our faith and trust in him, as we experience the forgiveness of our sin debt and a permanent home in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, you have done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Lord, we thank you for the Christmas story. Lord, we thank you that you designed to use willing people to be a part of that first Christmas story, and thank you for people like Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who yielded their life to be a part of your wonderful plan of salvation. Lord, I pray uh, this morning perhaps for some here that might be wrestling with some feelings of of doubt and feelings of um, that God is not aware and God doesn't care. Lord, help us not to believe the lie of Satan. Lord, help us to believe your truth. Lord, if nothing else, we simply need to look at the cross and understand how much you love us. Lord, help us like Mary and Joseph to say yes to being a a part of your plan. And Lord, may we be like uh, the shepherds this Christmas season. May we spread the good news that a Savior has been born. May we tell others the good news of the gospel. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the Christmas story. Lord, may we never tire of it. May we never get used to it that God became flesh to be our Savior and our sin-bearer. And Lord, because of that, our hearts are filled with joy. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.